reading of the 25th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning with verse 14. For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours." But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, There's this weird word in this text that comes from the Greek word talanta, which means massive amount of money. Like somewhere between $600,000 and a million dollars today, depending on which Bible scholar you read. Something, you know, like a lot of money, right? That fair? More than you could pick up. The coin was so heavy, you know, theoretically you couldn't pick it up kind of thing. Big coin, a lot of money. Y'all with me? But it's kind of turned into talents, like things that we're able to do and abilities and things like that in our English usage. And, and I guess that's okay because 
Even our talents are a gift from God. But it truly is at its very beginning in, in the midst of the story. The issue is the money and what they did with money that was entrusted to them. It's about stewardship in a way. And every time I read this story, I think about my experience in November of 1998 when I joined the firm of W. Powers McElveen. And a guy named Bob came to visit me at the office. And what Bob wanted to know was, did I want to retire well? Who doesn't want to retire well? <laughs> so I thought, surely I do. And, you know, it turns out that back then that company was matching whatever we put into our retirement account by 50%, which does not happen now. That never happened now. Now, in my mind, 50% is good enough. So when Bob starts asking me about what kind of risk I want to take with my money, and I'm making that mistake of thinking about it as my money already, but I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going to invest, and here's Bob. He's sitting in front of me. He said, okay, I need to know what kind of risk you want to take. You can put your money in high-yield stocks, and you'll make more back. But it has more risk. Theoretically, you could lose everything. And he says, or you could put your money in a medium risk stocks and, and indexes and things like that and saying words that I had no clue what he was saying. Didn't know what, he, what it was, so I really can't say them back to you. I could have written them down, I guess. But at any rate, the medium risk stuff wouldn't pay me back quite as much. But there was less chance that I might lose it all. You with me so far? And then he said, or you could take a low risk or something to that effect like money markets and you put your, your money in money markets and the chances are if the stock market falls apart, you won't really lose anything. And he said, David, what do you want to do with your money? And I said, Bob, I want to bury it in PVC pipes in the backyard. And Bob looked at me with a straight face and says, I think I'll write low risk. <laughs> and Bob was right. I have never been much of a risk taker and I certainly wasn't going to take the big giant risk of getting nothing if I could leave it be and get 50%, right? That made sense to me. And I always think about that third slave. I say, I'm that dude, man. Me and him was out burying that sucker together. He said, David, what do you think we should do with the master's talent? I said, put that thing in the ground. But back then, putting it in the ground was a way of keeping it safe. I had a parishioner that used to keep money in a coffee can in her backyard, and her, her children were always afraid they might not be able to find it. She paid for a car with the money out of a JFG can in the backyard. It works. <laughs> put it in the ground, put some dirt over it, you can't spend it. Unless you dig it up. It works. But ultimately, maybe, maybe the story's not about that. Because you see... The difference between them is, is two of them were willing to take risks and one of them wasn't willing to take a risk. And it seems to hinge on what they thought of the master. You know, if I had believed that my company would step in and re reinvest, if, if Smith Barney had, would step in and, and give me the money back that they lost of mine because I was telling them they could invest it to the best of their abilities, right? Right? And if I trusted that they would give it back to me if they lost it all, then I probably would have told them, you take all the risk you want. But that's not what was going to happen. I was letting them take risk, and if I lost it all, I just lost it all. And probably in the fine print it said I couldn't engage an attorney to get it back, I would be willing to bet. Stewardship 
is somewhere hidden in the midst of this story. And right now, all across America, preachers are lifting up the benefit of investing your money in their congregation and all that kind of stuff, which really, listen, is a good and wonderful thing. God has called us to give, to give a tenth of our increase so that the kingdom can flourish, so that the poor can be fed, so that the priests of the temple can be taken care of. And I believe in all that because I'm the priest of this here temple. And it's good for us to give. It teaches us generosity. It teaches us dependence on God. But ultimately, I think maybe that's not what this parable is about. And maybe, maybe we shouldn't use it that way. Because we could use this to guilt people into giving more, right? We need you to start thinking about increasing your giving by 100. Because remember, the last slave was chunked into hell. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Jesus' code word for hell. But I'm not sure that's the point. I think the greater issue of stewardship is what is to ask, what gift have we been given? There was this little kid went to church with his grandmother. Grandmother gave him $10. He was excited about that till he got to the church and his grandmother said, that's for you to put in the offering plate. And he said, what? <laughs> that's for you to put in the offering plate. And he said, no, ma'am. That's my money. And she says, son, that's tainted money. And he said, what do you mean it's tainted? And she says, it, it taint yours and it taint mine. <laughs> that gets to the core of stewardship. Everything that exists does not belong to us. According to the psalmist, it's either in 14 or 24, I can't remember which, everything is God's. Everything, everything, every little molecule, every little piece of matter. Every smallest piece of carbon, every fleck of dust in the air belongs to God, even the air itself, because God created, not us. And we're called merely to be stewards of it, and a steward is a person who takes temporary charge of something, right? These folks were giving temporary charge of the master's talent, the greatest thing of worth that there was. They were given temporary charge of it to take care of it. To treat it with respect and to use it with diligence. To be fruitful with it. Remember, one of God's charges to us in regard to our bodies, in regard to our personhood, was to be fruitful and multiply, right? They're called to be fruitful. And it got me to thinking about what I'm called to do and how I can be fruitful for it. And even being a pastor has at some level the charge of stewardship to have care for what I do because it matters. For instance, one Sunday, a pastor announced that there would be a member of the board after church. We call it a church council, thank goodness. You'll understand why when I finish the joke. But they call for a meeting of the board. This fellow happened to be visiting that day and at the end of the service he came up and sat down with the rest of the board at the front of the church. And somebody looked at him and said, why are you up here? And the pastor said, yeah, you can't be here. This is the first time you're with us and you're not a member of the board. He said, I beg to differ. I was pretty bored. <laughs> There's always this sense as we come forward and we offer our gifts to God that we ought to ask, am I offering my whole gift? Or am I holding back? Am I truly living as a steward or am I living as an owner of myself? And that applies for everything from our body to our finances to our spiritual health, our emotional health, to our property, to our thoughts, to everything and every part of us, including when we're preparing to preach a sermon before God's people. 
that somewhere in the midst of it, we have to take charge of what's been placed in our hands. Our whole self. And ask ourselves, how much risk am I willing to take on God's behalf? Am I high risk? Am I low risk? That's what being a steward is about. To use it for the goal of faithfulness and fruitfulness. To put the things that God has entrusted to us to work. And only one of them didn't do that. And you know what his reason was? He was afraid of the master. He was afraid. He was afraid of what might happen to him should he fail. He was afraid of what would come to him. Should he come back to the master and said, I did my very best. I gave it a shot. I went and I invested your money and Bob over at Smith Barney lost it all. He was afraid of what would happen to him. I wonder if you were listening to that psalm that I read to the children, Psalm 100, when we were talking about Thanksgiving. I just want to invite you to hear it again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is He that made us. And we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. Jesus says that the Master is these ways so that we can look at this guy and say, God ain't like that guy. God's not like him. We can take a risk. Then the psalmist says, His steadfast love endures forever. If we take the risk of serving God with all we have and we fail, God will not stop loving us. We're supposed to see this master as the opposite of who God is. Not a hardened taskmaster who will hate us if we fail, but a God who is good and whose love endures forever. And get this last one. His faithfulness endures to all generations. How many times have you known an entire generation of people to get it right? So Jesus tells this story about this guy who believed that the master was something he wasn't. The master didn't say, I am those things. He didn't say, you're right to think that. He didn't say, you're wrong to think that. He just said, you believe, so then why didn't you do this? So if we take the psalmist seriously and we believe that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is loving, why would we be afraid to take risks with what God puts into our hands, into our thoughts, into our spirit? And that ultimately brings the question, well, who then is this parable really about if it's not about the church? I don't have $600,000 in my bank account to worry about how I'm investing it. But I have in my heart the greatest story ever told about a God who loved His sinful creation so much that He became one of us and died for us. 
I have a story in my heart about God who came to us, bowed down into our likeness, and loved us when we refused to love Him. I have a story in my heart about a Savior who forgave those who killed Him while He was strapped to the instrument they used to relieve Him of His life. I have a story in my heart about a Savior who knelt by a lakeside and forgave a disciple who betrayed Him and asked Him to follow Him more closely and take responsibility for the other disciples. How much is that story worth, church? One talent? Two? Four million dollars? Ten? A billion? What price can we put on the story that we've been given to tell? How valuable is it to a world that walks around hurting, believing that there's nothing left of love or peace or joy? How valuable is the story we've been given? How valuable is what God has put into our hands? How wonderful is it that God would entrust that to us? And the question that this parable puts in front of us is, are we willing to risk investing that story? Are we willing to risk living that story? Telling that story? being that story, carrying that story out, letting that story be seen in our lives? Or are we going to bury it in the ground and be content that at least we know it? It's a good question, church. It's a question for us because God has made that investment in us. Not just us individually, but us as a people, as the people of Advent. Here in this place, God has put that story in our hearts and on our lips for a reason. So that we would be good stewards of it and invest it. And bring it back twofold. I think that's good news. And I think it's particularly good news if we don't give in to the narrative that God's just out there waiting to punish us when we fail. And we know that because over and over, God calls people to what we're about to do, to baptism, to repentance of sin, to say, I will live for this Christ. Over and over, God calls people to this font to bring them into this way of life and put this investment in them, to hand them this great talent of knowing the person of Jesus. So there's this television show on your TV called America's Got Talent where they weed through all these people looking for the greatest gift in them so they can win a prize. And your, your, your title in your bulletin is Blank's Got Talent. I'd invite you to write your name there. Maybe write Adna. Whatever strikes your heart, just... Think about the possibility that God has invested this story into you for the purpose of it growing. So that you can carry it out and invest it in others. Instead of burying it in the ground. Dear ones, 
my hope is that we will be wise stewards, thankful stewards and joyful stewards of the good news of Christ that God has invested in us. Amen. With those